0: All right, let's take our Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, we'll pick back up where we left off last week. So as you're turning there and finding your location, you may recall we started our discussion of the tribulation. Actually, we've been talking about it for some time, but we started our discussion of the, the description and revelation of the tribulation we actually spent a few weeks looking at Jesus's description of this uh, and this period of time right before the end of all things uh, this this final set of events that transpire what what I would the way I would describe it would be kind of the the, the end of the world as we know it all right meaning that the end of human history, as it is now, this, this set of events that precedes the second coming of Christ, uh, and then those events that, that follow after it will be m- much different, all right, than, than the nature of life now. So the tribulation is, is, really, is really like this, the seven year, the, the last seven years. It's how all of this will end. And, and revelation gives us quite a bit of detail on this. Jesus gives us some broad contours of understanding what this period of time will be like, what's not included with it. So we spent some time describing what are not considered signs and then talking about what are. We walked our way through the abomination of desolation. And so then last week, we turned our attention to Revelation and its discussion. Nowhere else in the Bible do you have more information about the tribulation period than in the book of Revelation. And it is the primary subject matter of the book. What I mean by that is, Revelation obviously is concerned with Jesus and His his return in glory, but in terms of the amount of material, the tribulation period of time occupies the most space. So from chapter 6 to 19, for the most part, is dealing in some way or another with these elements of the tribulation. Keeping in mind we talk about the tribulation, we're talking about that period of time where there, there are two realities on display. One is the judgment of God. And, and regardless of where somebody may fall on the various views of the end times, everybody will agree there's going to be a period of time at the end where God will put on a spectacular display of His judgment and wrath. Like has never been seen on the earth before. That's how Jesus described it. Like has never been seen before. So part of this is, is this display of God's just utter power, holiness, and justice. But I, I would say kind of along with that, and we'll see this as we go through some of this judgment material I would suggest man's wickedness, rebellion, hard-heartedness, foolishness, ignorance is also on a spectacular display. We will see in spite of the fact that everybody's going to say this is God's wrath, they're still going to say we don't care, we hate him. So it, it's a good reminder. Revelation is just a good reminder to us when we start thinking too much of ourselves and humans. All right, when we Revelation's a good book to read because uh, we are just reminded um, we're we're not all that great. All right, I mean, in a lot of ways, where we can do some really really foolish, ignorant things. Uh, we are capable of just significant rebellion, and Revelation just puts that on display. Um, The other thing that I think is helpful along these lines about a book like Revelation, and we'll address this when we get to it, this settles for me. The oft-used kind of comeback you may get from atheists, those who would want to challenge you about the existence of God, and those who would say, you know, if God exists, why didn't he just tell me? Revelation is one of those books that reminds us he could and it wouldn't matter because you're too hard-hearted. It happens time and again where God does show himself for who he is and people don't care. And like I've shared before, I've, I've, only had, I've only ever had one honest conversation with an atheist. I've had more than that, more conversations, only one honest one. Only one. Maybe he'd say the same thing, I don't know. But I've only had a one honest conversation, and that's when he brought up this whole thing, why didn't God just show me? And I asked him, I just stopped the conversation, I said, look, I've got a question. You walk out of my office, right, he came to see me in my office. Let's say you walked out of the office right now. Heavens open up, and you hear God, and God says... I'm real. Believe in me. How would you respond? And he stopped for a minute. He said, "I would assume I'm having a stroke." All right. Thank you very much. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You would figure out some other thing. See, Revelation reminds us that 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 that's kind of a uh, that, that's it's a bit of a red herring. It's a bit of a distraction uh, because I don't believe it for a minute. I don't believe it for a minute. What we find out is that really what matters is God by His Spirit has to do a work in the human heart. That's what's got to happen. God has announced Himself over and over and over again. He's made Himself known at, with, with with an amazing amount of clarity. So Revelation is going to drive this home for us: the judgment of God, and and then this um, this. Utter rebellion of mankind. So we, we got in then to how the Book of Revelation lays out the tribulation period. It, it does so by laying out a succession of three waves of judgment. Identified by the opening of seals. It's the first seven, then the the blowing of trumpets, seven more acts of judgment. And then the pouring out of bowls, a final set of seven judgments. And, and so that's kind of successive. That's kind of the outline. We, we go from one to the other to the other. It almost a bit of like divine judgment dominoes, all right? You push one over and the rest of them fall. With the opening of the sealed judgments, that's it, all right? That, that unleashes it all. And, and so we've got, we got one wave of God's judgment after another, each of them increases with intensity. And I contended last week, um, I, I believe that this is a seven-year period of time. Uh, I take the references and numbers that add up to that uh, to be just that, seven years. Uh, and this, this, again, will be a seven-year period right at the end of time uh, preceding then the second coming of Christ. So, I know that's a lot. I know we've been talking about a lot. Before we jump back into the sealed judgments, because that's where we are last week, we only got to the first one. Anybody have any questions, lingering questions from last week? I didn't really have time to ask last week. All right. Yeah, so, so some of this, by the way, some of this material is some of the less controversial <laughs> material really I think of end times study other than, than, than locating the when it happens and maybe the specifics of it being exactly seven years um, I, I think regardless of the, the where you fall on the various views of the end times everybody's orthodox believes there's, again there's going to be this final act of God's judgment and, and that, that revelation is describing this alright so let's jump back in So we're in the sealed judgments. This is the beginning of the seven-year period of tribulation. It's the first round of judgments. We can divide these into two kinds of judgments. This division will stand for the others as well, by the way. Judgments that God performs through human agents and the judgments that God seems to perform himself. And this begins, we'll go ahead and read... We'll go back to verse 1 of chapter 6. We'll read through verse 8. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And and I looked, and behold, a white horse. He sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And the power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. Now, I stop here because of the judgments and of probably a lot of the elements that come out of the book of Revelation language like the beast 666 probably one of the most widely known features is what we just read and and we mentioned this last week what what do they go by? These guys go by what name? Four horsemen of the apocalypse which is a terrible title Uh, one the word apocalypse by the way which which is the Greek it is a transliteration of the Greek word apocalypto, which is also revelation. <laughs> That's what the word means. The word means revelation. We we have associated it with destruction. All right. And and so we, we talk we talk about the 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 end times like this. But the, the, the truth is, that this is, this is about a revelation, right? The book is about a revealing, a revealing then of the judgment of God, but more importantly, really, the, of Christ himself. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the four horsemen are not in charge of anything. And you can see this already from this reading, right? Notice what it says. Does it ever say they have power? It says what? They are given. They're given power. So, so regardless of who, who they are what, are, what are these things? What are these riders? What are the horses that they are on? Um, is this something that's really symbolic of, of like events that are taking place? Um, are, are these some kind of angelic beings? It is widely regarded that the, that the first rider is the Antichrist, You know, I I I, I don't know if if we can really identify like specifically who the writers are. I think what matters is what is happening as a result. So the way Hollywood has messed this whole thing up, it's just hard for us to get in our minds, right? But they have, they've they've messed it, they've messed it all up. Um, These these guys are not bringing in the apocalypse. They're not ushering in the end of the world. Who brings the world to its end? God does. When will that happen? Whenever he says, and it's already set, by the way. You do know that's not a floating date. It's a done deal. Oh, pastor, could we write that down? Yeah, it's going to be sometime after December the 12th. Is that helpful? No? No? All right, it's the best I can do, okay? But I can tell you God has a very specific date. God could tell me it's going to be 2052, December 12th. He could. He has a date. That date's not floating. That date's not movable. This will end precisely when God intends for it to end, precisely the way God intends for it to end. No one can speed it along. No one can slow it down. All right? So we just want to keep that in our minds as we talk about this. All right, so last week we did talk about that first rider. We talked about the white horse identifying this judgment broadly as peace. I would add a little bit to that. Verse 2 is describing this rider as conquering, as going out conquering and to conquer. I think what happens here, this is God giving over lordship of humanity humanity takes over the lordship in a sense, in a false sense, but in a sense nonetheless of the earth. In other words, what humanity has always clamored for, they're going to get. A type of autonomy. And that's awful. We're terrible when we are left to our own devices, right? Humans have an ability to make radically bad decisions. Uh, now I know there's exceptions to this. I understand, but but aside from God's intervention to give wisdom and grant skill and gift, what I think is going on here is the beginning of uh, of then this of of, of people uh, there being this this human control of events at least seemingly, and and it brings it brings about a, what I would say is a is a type of unity of a sort. Again, it's false but a type of unity and peace on the earth. All right, so that's first. But but then notice the second one. This is identified as the red horse, often described as, as war. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, "'Come and see.' Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth." So verse 4 is a reason why I think something about peace is the subject of verse 2. Because the second horse comes and takes something away. All right? So peace has been granted to some degree. By the way, I, I would argue that's got to be something different than what exists now. If I, if I were to do this as, a, as an exercise, write out 10 words that describe life on this planet. peace on there anybody got a list where you got peace on that list right no there's gonna be a lot of other words okay some of them may even be colorful all right there's gonna be a lot of other words on that list to describe the way things are going but no one's gonna say yeah number one peace seem to be at peace no so something is going to happen then for peace because i look at the world and i think well done deal, all right? Peace has already been taken away. But this is going to be taken away from the earth. And then it says, what's going to happen then? People will kill one another. There was given to him a great sword. So I think this describes violence. I I, I think the judgment to come involves, first, this fake kind of peace, let men rule as men see fit. It creates a veil of unity that breaks down then naturally into violence we've definitely seen this pattern in human history right somebody rises up as being the one who can solve all the ills of society uh, and maybe even takes a firm control of things and then what happens any of those folks really still around? No? And are they around in the condition they were in before? Well, no. That, that breaks down. So this is going to happen on a global scale. I think this is then describing then the, what will be a global type of violence. I would suggest that this is not talking about armed um, formal warfare at this point. I think this is talking about just global violence. In the streets. It's far more terrifying, right? So, so again, what I think is happening here, there, there is, and this may be hard to believe, even right now, there is a type of restraint that exists that is going to be lifted. Part of God's judgment is a lifting of that. You think things are bad now. Imagine what it will be like when God let, lets humanity go. So there will then be warfare, conflict on the earth. All right? Number three, and if you've got notes, you don't have any blanks to fill in, um, but if you have, have them, you'll see. Number three, we get to the black horse. described as famine traditionally historically described this horse is described as bringing famine verse 5 when he opened the third seal I heard the third living creature say come and see so I looked and behold the black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand so you recognize this, right? I mean, this is kind of what you think of. He has in his hand what would be the balance. You know, this, this contraption that would have an arm going, going off of it and there's a tray on one side and a tray on the other, right? These balances used for weighing out. This would have been a way to weigh, really even pay for, material. Consider the value of something, right? So you would put something over here, another thing over here, and it was a way to compare the value of one thing to the other. So to have these balances, and they had set amounts that should balance out. So this this is what he's holding. He's holding these scales in his hand. But but then it goes on to say this, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius... And three quarts of barley for a denarius do not harm the oil and the wine. All right, so we got to figure out some numbers here. A quart of wheat was necessary to sustain one person for one day. A denarius was a typical day's wage. So the point that's being made is it's going to take a day's wage to feed one person for one day. Estimates that I read, and it it would be hard to find the real economics of what was going on, I found this to be as low as five times the normal price and as much as 12 times the normal price. So, if you've got just enough to feed one person and you have a family of five, something bad's gonna happen. I'm not an economist, but you can figure that out, right? So, so, somebody is going to go without. Then the reference to barley barley was usually fed to animals and it was usually cheaper than wheat. Um, and, and so, here's what's being suggested all right, so the wheat. Um, is, is exorbitant, well, maybe we can eke out just enough barley to feed people. But again, it's what was fed to the animals. So that, that's what that language is getting at. So here you have this living creature with the balances, and what it's, what it's showing is there's going to be scarcity. There's going to be a lack. Now, the reference there at the end is interesting. It says, do not harm the oil and the wine, there, there are a couple of options here. Uh, some have suggested this is a way of showing, you know, these judgments get more intense as we go. And so th- this shows, especially if you think the voice is God speaking, that this, this is God's, at least a, a bit of restraint at this point. This, this means this is going to be less severe. So, at the very least, don't harm the oil, don't harm the wine. Um, it's also believed you know both of those were significant Um, oil was used in the making of bread of course wine would have been important to drink because it was um, it it was bacteria free all right Uh, and uh, in fact was often used even to purify water you know options so so wine would it would have been important Um, so you know is is he saying all right don't harm the oil and wine um, as a way to, to say, so this judgment is going to have some restraint. Another option is it's just a, it's a way of saying these things that were staples in daily life now become luxuries. Everybody had oil and wine. This is, this is just what you had. And it's what you would have relied on in times of crisis. You know, this area, it's not the first time they would have ever found themselves dealing with some kind of famine, Right? I mean, this is something that they could have uh, dealt with at various times, having some kind of lack. Uh, so, so holding on to that oil and wine you know, could be a way of saying, all right, so this is going to be that type of circumstance. So you can see the progression here. And these are probably going to be interconnected. You've got, you've got this, this conqueror um, who clearly loses a hold. All right, whatever is operating to keep the, the The fibers of humanity together <coughs> this begins to unravel there's violence what what 's then the next reality of violence what what often then gets destroyed in violence, especially in an agricultural setting and crops do i mean it's an, it's a natural reality of warfare that especially in the ancient world that that was just, In some ways, that had as much of a devastating impact on a culture itself as the war. Because not only was there the death because of the warfare, but now there's going to be extended death because now there's going to be famine. It was not uncommon for famine to follow warfare. All right? But we're not done. So there's a fourth seal that is opened it's the pale horse. And it is the judgment of death. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked, behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed him. So Hades is the place of the dead, so these would be natural symbols and images to connect with one another, all right? And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And I I take that literally. I think at the end of this, I think a fourth of the world's population will be dead. Through various means. Whether what was described previously or the combination of all these things, which is really what it sounds like, right? The fourth writer, this really sounds like a combination of these things. You've got famine, you've got scarcity, you've got violence. These all then come together in death. Uh, again, living in the circumstances they would have lived in. Uh, if there's scarcity, if, if there's a famine, guess who else suffers? Animals, right? Wild animals. Uh, I know it's hard for people to believe, but you can, you can tell from, like, David's stories, we do know there were types of lions and there were types of bears, right? Because he killed both of them. And so this region was known for these animals. And so this would just be an example, by the way, but of, of these, these beasts then that, that also perhaps come looking for food. And and so this is what overspreads. This this is the judgments. This is God's display of his wrath. It he doesn't do it primarily though he is the author of it. So let's not mistake this by the way. This is an act of God. And people often assume, especially those who would who would want to downplay scripture and uh would and, and perhaps they're, they're a little taken aback, when they, when they try and come at someone like me with this God of judgment as, as, if, as if that's going to be some tricky thing I've got to deal with. And it's, it's not. I'm not embarrassed by the judgments of God in the Bible. I'm not embarrassed by the language of judgment at the end. Because I've read the whole thing. And I, and I understand the nature of humanity. Uh, quite, quite frankly, if we were in charge of the universe, do you know how bloody this book would be? That's usually what I also tell the atheist. What if you were in charge of the universe? What would that universe look like? My guess is it'd be way bloodier than the one that you think is inappropriate in the Bible. Now, God has always shown himself to be patient, merciful, but he's also said there's a time limit here. There is a time limit here. God's patience is not infinite with humanity. It does run out. And so, so these first four judgments then, so a seal is opened, one, two, three, four, and, and I, I, I don't know what kind of timing that is. I don't know, you know, days apart or months apart. I don't know what it is, but I, but I do know these are coming one after another. All right? Now now we get to the fifth one, and now we're looking at judgments. There are two more judgments in the seal judgments. I know there are seven. I'll mention something about that in just a minute, but, but for now... No, actually, we'll go go into it now because I didn't mention it last week. Keep in mind, the seventh seal is opened to unleash the trumpet judgments. So the seventh seal's judgment is all of the trumpet judgments. So we won't we won't add that one to this list. All right, we'll look at the the trumpet judgments for, at the, in the the next next set of judgments we look at. So so now we've got number five and number six, and we have God acting. I would. I would contend, in a a very specific and hands-on way. Verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed so this is a little different right this is not a judgment like the other four instead when this seal is open we have a much different scene we have a scene that's happening in heaven and the seal is open and what is it that John sees he sees the souls of the, the martyrs those who'd been slain for the, for the word of God for their testimony which they held so these are men and women uh, who had been faithful to the gospel to the point of death and, and it and it it describes them then as being under the altar again this is one of those this is one of those times when John is trying to use earthly language to describe a heavenly reality for which you have no categories so does does this really mean that the, that there, that there's a you know it's a, it's an it's an altar and God has shoved the souls underneath it? I mean is that what it's getting at? No, this is this is John seeing that they have they have given themselves for the sake of the gospel. They come under this altar that that would be best understood as this this place of mercy. And so the, that that's where John connects them. That's where he kind of sees them. And isn't it interesting what they cry out for? It's, it's pretty graphic, isn't it? Have you ever pray, prayed this way? You, you, don't have, you, I mean, you don't have to admit it. All right, maybe you have. All right, maybe you have. Maybe you have prayed. But it's interesting. And keep in mind, where are they located? Before somebody thinks, oh, this is inappropriate. These martyrs are in heaven, right? And what are they saying? Lord, when... Will you avenge our blood? When? How long, O Lord? Has that not been the cry of the saints of God ever since there have been saints of God? How long, O Lord? How long are you going to bear the sin and rebellion of men? And, And when, when? When will you demonstrate your justice specifically? Now notice what they're asking for. They're not asking for God's justice as it pertains to, you know, other ways in which people have sinned. They're specifically saying, God, when will we know your justice for those who have killed us for the sake of your gospel? And here's where the judgment comes in. The judgment comes in where God promises their time is coming. That's what he's getting at. Their time is coming. It was said to them, rest a little while longer. And this is kind of ominous, isn't it? Until the number of your fellow servants is completed. Mm. I I think this is another reminder of the nature of God's sovereignty over these things. There, There are those... God has designed, created, created the first time, then recreated in salvation so that they may die for the sake of the gospel. I think in this room, and the people that occupy this group, that's hard to wrap our heads around, right? In fact, perhaps we might even would... mm, Bristle against the idea if somebody came up to us and said, you know, I, I'm going to take my wife and young kids and, and we're going to move to Sudan so that we can share the gospel. We're, we're going we're to go to that place in India where they talk about dragging pastors out of churches and set them on fire. We're, that's where we're going to go. How, how many parents and grandparents would say, That's a foolish idea? That seems dangerous. Can I suggest something that may be a real challenge to your worldview? Do not underestimate God's willingness to absolutely send you to your death for the sake of the gospel. Now, that is hard, I understand. That is hard, but He is willing to do it. He's willing to do it for your precious babies, too. If it's for the sake of the gospel. I know that's hard. But if you want to challenge that, you you better come at me with Revelation 6, verse 11. What are you going to do with verse 11? Because you're going to have to do something with it. Because God has said, In my sovereignty, I know there's a number that will be completed. God has sovereignly designed those who would die for the faith. Mm-hmm. That's profound. So, so, but he is promising them, though. He is promising them there is justice coming. Justice is going to come. It's not yet. I mean, maybe a little bit. Maybe there's been a little bit in the first four. But this is obviously then promising a, a greater one to come. And so, seal number five. All right, let's look at seal number six. And uh, we might pick back up with this in a couple of weeks. Because keep in mind, this is our last Sunday night of the year. I'm not going to see you people on Sunday, Sunday night in this Bible study for a year. No. All right, it won't be until next year that we're going to do this again, okay? That's how hard it's been. No. But it will be. It will be next year. All right? Verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. As a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So, you know, up to this point, we don't have any indication that these people necessarily realize that what has been happening is the hand of God. Now, next time we will go into the details of what all is described here, but I wanted to go ahead and hit this sixth seal, because what does God do here? He does the thing all those atheists have been asking for. He shows himself. How do we know that? Because it tells us everybody. Right? I don't know how else you would identify verse 15. Kings of the earth, great men, rich men, commanders, mighty men, every slave, and if I've left anybody out of the list, every free man. Literally everybody on the planet knows this is God's judgment. And notice what at least some of them do. Run to the mountains. At least try and flee to hide themselves from the wrath of the Lamb. Again, an odd phrase. We'll talk about that next time. But but what do they know? They know this is the hand of God against them. That's what they know. This is the hand of God against them. And then they say, Who is able to stand? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a good one then to end with. Because who is able to stand? I am. I am. You are. I don't mean because of you. No, I'm nothing and you're nothing. You know what I mean. Christ has saved you. No hiding in rocks for me. No diving into caves for me. Who can withstand the wrath of the Lamb? The one who's been saved by the blood of that Lamb that was shed. That's who. Isn't it amazing to ask this question? Who can stand? If, if, if any of them would have just bowed in repentance and begged for God's forgiveness and confessed faith in Christ, they'd be able to withstand the wrath of the Lamb. That's how you withstand the wrath of the Lamb. You do so by having the blood of the Lamb upon you. This has been the way it has been since the Garden of Eden, right? For sure since Exodus. So, all right, a few weeks, we'll jump back on it and uh, keep looking then at the tribulation period. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you again for the gathering of your people and this opportunity both this morning and tonight to be together, to be in your word, and we pray that we would continue to be faithful students of your word, but more so that we would be practitioners of that word. May, may we find ourselves living in submission to it. That we allow your word to inform how we think, what we believe, so that it would influence then how we live. That you would be glorified then by your people. We thank you for the week that lays out before us. We are privileged to walk into it as sons and daughters of our most high God, and so use us as you see fit as a means to your end, that you are glorified by your people. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.